So I really want to begin with uh, two simple words today that I, I mean from the bottom of my heart, and those two words are thank you. Um, thank you for allowing me the incredible privilege of serving this church the past five and a half years, uh, your generosity, your love for people, um, your love for God, your love for his word have blessed uh, me and my family more than I'm able to put into words. So from the bottom of our hearts, we just want to say thank you. Uh, we uh, are uh, thrilled to stay here and to keep contributing to uh, this church family. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, what are you most looking forward to? And I said, I'm looking forward to five months from now when somebody in the church asks me where this or that thing is. And I look at them and say, I have no idea. So that's going to be, uh, it's gonna be a really, uh, really uh, neat time, I think. Uh, one of the things that we are most excited about staying here seriously is uh, you helping us raise our granddaughter to uh, know Jesus. And so we're thrilled that Will and Hillary are part of this church and Evie and uh, as my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to be able to walk that journey together as she comes to know the Lord. And so we're, we're grateful for that. I'm going to be traveling quite a bit, but on those weekends that I'm home, I definitely look forward to seeing your smiling faces. Uh, I also want to publicly thank our elders and our ministry staff and our ministry support staff for their tireless efforts uh, on uh, our church's behalf. And without question, they're absolutely some of the finest um, men and women that I've ever worked with. Um, when you see some of the difficult uh, church family situations that I see in my travels. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about many churches that I've worked with over the years. Um, you don't take for granted how wonderful it is to be part of a leadership where no one is throwing rocks at anybody else. Um, and in the past five and a half years that I have worked here, I have never once, not one time, have I heard an elder or a staff member or a support staff member uh, raise his or her voice in anger? And that is a phenomenal testimony to servant leaders who are committed to helping others find hope and live with purpose. And uh, starting right here with folks who are part of this church family. And so I praise God for that. Today's a really important day in the history of our church because today we open up a two-week window for prayerful submission of names uh, for men to serve this church in the role of pastoral uh, elder. And you may be thinking, well, aren't all elders pastoral elders? Well, yes, uh, to a certain degree, that's true. But there also are some caveats that we will be considering this morning. And so if you'll allow me to explain. We're going to begin this morning with some low-hanging fruit, uh, one of my favorite phrases to use uh, here. Uh, our church's uh, bylaws and articles of incorporation. Are you excited? Bylaws and articles of incorporation? Didn't that sound like fun? So these documents are not Scripture. They are not Scripture. Uh, but they surface from Scripture. And I'm not going to read everything, but I am going to read just a handful of excerpts that apply directly to uh, elder selection. And it's really important that we understand this, I think, as a church body. So uh, when you look at um, our bylaws, this language is embedded in, and this goes back to the, the incorporating of this church. These were modified back in 2011 to reflect our new physical address and a handful of other uh, things that were, um, that were mentioned, not the Articles of Incorporation, but the bylaws. So the management of the affairs of the church is vested in the members who from time to time shall um, as they deem necessary, 
select elders to serve on the board of trustees. And so that language is embedded into our, uh, into our bylaws. Now, if you look at the articles of incorporation on the next slide, the management of the affairs of the corporation shall be vested in its members, and they will select elders to serve on the board of trustees in a manner prescribed by the bylaws. So what's the manner that's laid out by our church bylaws? Um, the trustees shall be members of the church. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It wouldn't make sense for us to go borrow somebody who's not a member of this church and make them an elder. Uh, each trustee shall serve and hold office so long as he serves as an elder. And so we don't have term limits in place or anything like that. Uh, as long as you're serving and as long as you're serving well, you can remain in that uh, position. Uh, trustees can be removed uh, at any time by uh, two-thirds of the members of the church present uh, at an annual or special meeting. Uh, of the church or by a vote of at least two-thirds of the board of trustees at a meeting. And if we're going to do that, we have to give notice and state why we are doing uh, what we're doing. Now, just take a look at those just for a second. We'll leave that on screen. And I want to say that as our shepherds years ago uh, put this language in place, I, I want to tell you it's brilliant language. It's brilliant. Now, part of it is just template, right? All churches that have articles of incorporation, bylaws in the state of Texas have to use certain language so that they can be legally represented as um, an organization that can do business as a church. And so part of it is just template driven. But part of it was a conscientious choice by our shepherds many, many years ago to make sure that we don't get stuck into one process or one approach or one way. So um, if you go to this next uh, slide, you're going to see the elders who were serving back in 2011. You'll see the names of the individuals who put this together. Some of them are sitting in this audience this morning, and I want to say to you, brothers, what you did back then was absolutely brilliant. It truly, truly was. I think it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. You didn't lock us into a specific approach in the elder selection process. You didn't put us on some type of an inflexible, inflexible appointment schedule. So these men left this part of the appointment process and selecting elders up to the Holy Spirit. And so I want to thank you, uh, brothers, some of whom have passed, uh, but we want to thank these brothers for their wisdom and their insights and their discernment and in prayers. I'm sure there were many, many prayers that took place as they were redrafting and, and modifying our articles, our articles of incorporation and bylaws. So it's not all. Uh, 2011, the articles of incorporation were updated uh, to reflect the new address, added new stipulations that allowed for the division of labor uh, within uh, the leadership. And so here's some of that language. Uh, the board of trustees, by resolution adopted by a majority of the trustees in office, may designate and appoint one or more committees, each of which shall consist of two or more trustees, uh, which committees to the extent provided in said resolution shall have and exercise the authority of the board of trustees and the management of the church, except that no such committee shall have the authority, da 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 basically an elder can't go rogue, okay? Or a couple of elders can't get together and go rogue, all right? So one group of elders can't decide, hey, we're going to do this with that piece of the back property. It's got to be an all-in decision. Everybody's got to be part of the conversation and part of the dialogue. Again, brilliant, brilliant, uh, brilliant language. So this move, however, that you're seeing on screen right now made provision for our eldership to function as it currently functions. And so I'd like for you to look at this graph on the next slide. We currently are set up with a shepherding team and an administrative team and a teaching team. Now, every single one of these groups is comprised of elders, okay? 
But they decided to experience division of labor so that more bases could be covered. It doesn't really seem to make sense for all of the elders to be uh, having conversations for three, four, five hours about whether or not we're going to strike the parking lot. Okay, so the administrative team would explore that on behalf of the elders, come back and make a recommendation. The elders would go thumbs up, thumbs down, okay? Because we want to make sure that we're freeing up time for the pastoral elders, the shepherding elders, to be focusing on most of their energies on spiritual needs and emotional needs of the flock. The teaching team also serves pastorally, of course, uh, but they focus a lot of their energies on adult education and on small groups and on making sure that we are in the word. So this division of labor, again, I'll go back to the decision that was made years ago, I think was a brilliant move. It puts us in a place to cover more bases. So right now, as you look at that graph up there on the screen, we're in a really healthy spot with the administrative elders. They've been working together for two or three years now. They have a rhythm. They have a a really clear understanding of boundaries. The trust levels are really high. So we really aren't in a place right now where we need to do uh, much with administrative support. Uh, Our teaching uh, shepherds, uh, Kent Dale and and John Case, share in in that position right now, and they work along with the lead minister and other ministry staff members to make sure that our education bases are being covered. That's Working pretty well right now, so we really don't need to add too much support there. But our pastoral elders, uh, we've had several of our elders who have, uh, have stepped down due to retirement. We've had some who have moved away. We have had some who have passed away. So uh, if we've learned anything in this pandemic, it is that we need more pastoral support. Brothers in the Lord who will come alongside people and who will love on them well in Jesus' name and help them through the difficult processes of this life. And so we are entering this process of appointing pastoral elders. In the future, those who are appointed may end up serving on the admin team. They may end up serving on the teaching team. But right now, our greatest need is pastoral. So I want to hit just a few highlights of the process and then tell you how this is going to unfold. So uh, we are actively seeking, and this has been bathed in prayer. It's not just we sat around one day and said, hey, this seems like a good idea. (laughs) This wasn't even borrowed from another church. Uh, This was birthed out of prayer and a lot of conversation, hours and hours. But uh, we are seeking submission of names of men who are well-suited to serve as pastoral elders. Um, And as we've said, we're not seeking submission of names for administrative or teaching elders right now. So submission of names begins today. And I'm going to walk you through that process over the next little bit. Uh, You will receive an email today with a link to a secure digital recommendation form. So if you're in our database, you're going to get that email. If you're not getting emails from the church, please go to the Welcome Center as soon as we wrap up, and we will make sure we get that situated. Uh, You also will receive a digital copy of the entire process. So from A to Z, I'm just giving you highlights this morning, but it spells out every single detail, every single step along the way, dates, uh, who's involved, who's handling what, uh, and so all of that is spelled out in the document. If you don't have access to a computer or if you don't trust email, then there are hard copies that are in the church office, 
and you can go by there as soon as we dismiss this morning. They're sitting on a table uh, right there in the foyer in the church office, and you can pick up those hard copies. We're going to have a, a box, a secure box out in the foyer uh, that you can drop those names in. Uh, I think that'll be out there starting next Sunday. So from June 14 to June 25, all the names that are submitted are going to be prayerfully examined by our eldership through the lens of characteristics of elders given by the Holy Spirit within 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, Titus 1, 6 through 9, and 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And there are other passages that speak to the characteristics of elders as well. Our elders are going to reach out to those individuals who meet these scriptural characteristics, and they're going to explore their interest of serving in a pastoral elder role. And uh, those who do not wish to be considered, of course, will not have their names put before the church. But those who do uh, will continue with the process. And all, all of these potential elders, whether they've served as an elder previously or not, are going to be invited to participate in a three-month formative preparation phase. This is one of the, the biggest changes from the way that we've done previous processes. And I think this is a fantastic move. I applaud our shepherds for for thinking through this. We're going to actually go into a leadership training experience that will be hosted by a couple of our current elders and some of our staff members. I don't know how many times I've been in situations where churches appoint elders and you're not one one day and you are one the next day. And how do you learn to be an elder? You learn by baptism by fire. Okay, that's not a good approach. That's not a good approach. This is a much more proactive approach as uh, these brothers have opportunity to learn and to grow, to clarify expectations, to contribute to the trajectory and to the direction, but to do so patiently um, and formatively as we go through this experience. It's not going to be mandatory, but their wives will also be encouraged to participate. Some of our wives of our shepherds can attest, oh yeah, it's sometimes a difficult spot to be in. And so we want to love those sisters uh, as well and encourage them along the way. Even if you were approached and you declined, we also hope that you would participate in this formative leadership experience uh, because there may be other ministries in which you can serve and also it's going to be open. So anybody who wants to grow their leadership capacity is invited to attend. One of the things I love about this process is the phenomenal transparency of it all. And uh, so as you read through that document, you're going to see how open uh, the elders are about the process and who's doing what and when and where and why and how and all those kinds of things. So following this communal discernment uh, process, and you're going to see that happens at the end of that three-month formative experience, some of those brothers who go through that experience may go, oh, you know what, this was a little, biting off a little bit more than I thought. <laughs> so I'm going to keep serving, but I'm going to keep serving in other ways. Uh, then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, however, if everything materializes and I think that these brothers are going to see how wonderful it is to be part of this team. Then on October the 3rd, uh, during our morning assemblies, the membership of the church will be asked to elect all of these new pastoral shepherds by verbal affirmation. At least that's the plan right now. That, that could change. We could do something different. Um, but uh, for now, we're looking for verbal affirmation on that date. Now that word elect is pretty important. I'll come back to that here in just a moment. Okay. I feel like an auctioneer. That was like the most information I've given in, in uh, seven or eight minutes in my whole life, I think. So, so the specific roles and responsibilities of the elders are spelled out in the uh, process document. 
it's, I would say job descriptions would be a great way to categorize. So there is a, there's about a page that's dedicated to what pastoral elders are primarily responsible for, a page that's dedicated to what admin elders are responsible for, and a page that's dedicated to what teaching team elders are responsible for. And so I, I really encourage you to read through that document to see who takes care of what. And as you read through it, you're going to be able to see these responsibilities, particularly of pastoral shepherds. And so please, please, please read through the document before you start submitting names. We've seen what the bylaws and what the articles of incorporation have to say. And by the way, anybody that wants a copy of those, you're welcome to them. Uh, Just contact the church office and we're happy to send you a digital or hard copy. Um, so we've seen what those have to say. Uh, we've, we've previewed the process, just nuts and bolts. There's a whole lot more uh, detail that you'll be able to find once you get the document. Let's see what Scripture has to say. I want to be in First Peter chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to start at verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. So uh, Peter, the, the, the sage Peter at this point uh, in his journey, who has seen it all. I mean, seen it all writes these um, beautiful words to elders in the church when he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And I love this phrase, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing. That's, that's how God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger this is, this is basically a statement that's a blanket statement. Basically, in the same way, everybody else, <laughs> submit yourself to your elders. All of you, all of you, the whole church, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, because, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? You know, if you're praying for our shepherds, this is a great passage to read. If you're serving as a shepherd, this is a great passage to read. If your name is put forth before, this is a great passage to read because it's not just about shepherding. It's about how we interact with one another in covenant relationship in Jesus. Now, as we read through this beautiful passage uh, in uh, 1 Peter 5, I want, to, um, I want to talk a little bit this morning just about a few myths. And I, I pull these from this passage, and we'll look at another couple of passages that will help us understand. Uh, Here's myth number one about elders. Uh, Myth number one, the elders are the chief complaint department. Okay, that's a myth. 
Um, we think sometimes if I've got a problem, I gotta go, I gotta go take it out on the elders, okay? Um, that's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. Uh, we are encouraged in scripture if we have a problem with something that someone is doing to go to whom? That person, that person. Jesus encourages us to be go the extra mile people. Carry the load a little further. Paul encourages us in Galatians 6 to bear one another's burdens. Jesus prays in John 17 that we would be people of unity. The list goes on and on and on and on. If you have a complaint, you know the best place to go first and foremost above all else? You know? To your knees in prayer. That's the first and best place to go. Because after you talk to God about it for a little while, you know what? That complaint may not be something that is complaint worthy after all. There have been times that things have happened. I get really, really upset about those things. And then I go talk to God. And God says, Greg, think about this in the great scheme of things. Okay, I've never heard that audible voice, but I certainly have had the conviction, okay? And it helps me understand, okay, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Not as big of a deal as I'm making it out to be. Myth number two, the elders are in charge of the church. Okay, you tell me, who is in charge of the church? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the head of the church. All of us, all of us submit to his authority. If we do not, then we are not disciples of Jesus Christ. We can say that we are. But our actions and our attitudes and our behaviors, when those are fully aligned under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The elders are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're not in charge of the church. Jesus is. They are overseers, but that's not the same thing as boss. That's not the same thing as in charge. That, that's reserved only for Christ Jesus. Uh, I would consider them more in a supervisory role <laughs> under his lordship. Myth number three, the elders operate like a board of directors. Now, this is kind of a quasi-myth because to a certain degree, the elders do operate like a board of directors, but only in the legal sense, only in the legal sense. They're not about products. They're not about uh, uh, benchmarks. Uh, you know, a lot of the businessy terms that, that work really, really well in the business world, and yes, we can borrow from those, and yes, we can examine those, and yes, there are a few processes that we can pull here and a few positives that we can pull there. But at the end of the day, we are a spiritual organization. We are about growing spiritually and deepening spiritually. And so uh, operating like a board of directors and, and we're going to do, you know, um, this in this business fashion or this business sense, it, it really doesn't apply. We are much more about relationships uh, in the body of Christ and managing those well in Jesus' name. Myth number four, the elders should be unanimous in all decisions. Now, a lot of actually elderships work this way, that if you don't have 100% agreement, you don't move forward with a decision. And so what this allows uh, many churches to do is to just totally get stuck. Because if you have one person in the group who is a naysayer, or if you have one person in the group who is power hungry, or if you have one person in the group who, quite frankly, is just a jerk, you can't get anything done. You can't get anything done. So how do our elders lead? Our elders lead by consensus. If the majority agree that this is the direction that we should take, then the 
the entire group commits to taking that direction. And it's worked wonderfully, at least in the five and a half years that I've been here. I don't know about previous years, but, but the five and a half years that I've been here, I've seen our brothers engage beautifully uh, in this process and the diversity and the differences and the insights, uh, that actually leads to a much better outcome. So if these are some of the myths, what are some of the qualities that we see of those who are called to serve in this capacity? First quality is this, those who serve should desire to serve. We read in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1, if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. Let's revisit this language from 1 Peter 5 as we look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, not because you have to, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. And so the very first quality that we look at is that those who serve should desire to serve. The second quality is this. Those who serve exemplify godly character. Now, you might think um, success in the business world or, or running a big uh, corporation, that that would be the most important quality. Someone who is really, really good at organizational leadership. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but you would be wrong. <laughs> the most important quality is that this, this man exhibits godly characteristics. Look at the language of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to, to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, we've got lots of other qualities that are spelled out in Paul's letters to, to Titus and to Timothy. Uh, those texts aren't identical, so the attributes really are best uh, described as qualities or characteristics versus qualifications. That, that word actually is not in Scripture. Um, so Paul's remaining counsel to Timothy is, again, he's still talking about elders here, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner that is worthy of full respect. If anybody doesn't know how to manage his own family... Well, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So as we look at this passage, a couple of things to unpack here. What, uh, what are elders not? What are they not? We know what Paul describes here of, of who they are and, 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 and how they should be uh, who they are, but, but what, what elders are not? They, they are not elected. Now, we use the word elect in our articles of incorporation. We use the word elect in our bylaws, I think primarily because that's state of Texas language. Uh, electing elders is not in Scripture. Appointing is a better word, um, I, I, I think, uh, there's really two ways that elders are selected in Scripture, at least that I've been able to identify. By apostolic authority is way number one, and by being appointed by an evangelist is number two. 
Um, outside of that, the Bible doesn't really have a lot to say about how elders are selected and appointed. Uh, but they're not elected. Um, they, um, they don't represent a constituency. And I just want to encourage you here, don't, don't lobby for people to be in this position. If you feel like you have to get someone in the eldership to push your agenda, I just got to tell you, God have mercy on you for treating the bride of Christ so disrespectfully. If you need someone to push your agenda, ask them to run for Congress, okay? But don't ask them to serve as an elder in the Lord's church because that's not how God designed it. We're not a Senate. We're not a House of Representatives. We're the bride of Christ. So servant leadership drives all that we do in our leadership capacity. Elders are not power hungry. They are not disrespectful to God or to other people. So if these are things that elders are not, then what are they? I think scripture is pretty clear. First and foremost, they are men of prayer. We saw this last week when we looked at Acts chapter 20 as Paul calls those Ephesian elders to come to his side in Miletus. And what do they do? They get on their knees together and they pray. Elders are servant leaders. They should be the first among us to wash the feet of the hurting and the broken. They should be the first among us to step up and say, yes, I'll volunteer for that. They should be the first among us to model what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that they do that is through leading. Elders exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. They should be men of peace Patience, kindness, love, gentleness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. They are in this together. A copy of the elders' covenant, that's in the packet that you will receive. You see, articles of incorporation can govern the head, but covenant, that, that governs the heart. And so I encourage you to read it before you submit it will help you understand the type of individual who has the attitude and the heart for serving in this most important of roles. The elders are in this together, but here's something I want you to also understand this morning before we wrap up, and that is this, that we are also in covenant with our elders. That's the way God designed it. He could have set the church up any way that he wanted Every individual church could have had a president. <laughs> That's not in Scripture. Uh, every, uh, every group could, have, could, have, uh, could vote every single Sunday whether we're going to keep our doors open or not. That's not the pathway that God chose. He chose men of faith to be out in front modeling the way. And so I urge you, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, please take this process seriously. I ask that you would be on your knees in prayer before you start submitting names. I would ask that you please read the entire packet first. Again, hard copies over in the church office. You're also gonna get a digital copy um, in uh, just, just a little bit. Uh, please be in the word. 
go back this week and, and read First Peter 5, go back this week and, and read Paul's counsel to Timothy in First Timothy 3 and, and to Titus in Titus chapter 1. Go back and read Acts chapter 20 and see how Paul interacted with those brothers from Ephesus. Be in the word. And above all else, above all else, please pray. I believe with all my heart, this is going to be a wonderfully blessed time, a blessed season for the A&M Church of Christ. And uh, if you're visiting with us, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here, that you're going to get to see this process unfold. We also covet your prayers as we enter this next chapter in our church's future. Well, that's the next to the last sermon I'll preach here for a while, okay? I'm going to preach the same sermon uh, next, next hour. So if you missed something, go home, go online. You can watch it all over again, okay? Um, but I want you to know that as I think about, boy, of all the things that I could have talked about, all the things that I could have, I could have uh, spoken on this morning, someone might ask, that, that, that was your last sermon? That was it? <laughs> you know, I trust that the Holy Spirit has brought us to this time just for this purpose, to be able to live into what I believe is going to be a God-honoring future. And I want you to know, man, when our pastoral elders are, are in, in the trenches with folks, it is just one of the most beautiful and powerful things in the world to see and to be a part of. And you never stop. You never stop. Uh, I'm going to embarrass one of my brothers this morning, but, but my good brother, Curtis Garrett, who serves as an elder at this church for many, many years, Curtis, those days that you just dropped by, those days that you just dropped by my office and he, he would drop by and he would, he would ask one question. So how are you doing? That was like, it was like somebody took a 50-gallon drum of ointment and just poured it all over my head, right? Those are healing times. Those are powerful times. Those are beautiful times. Those describe the outcomes that all of us can experience again and again and again if we'll be on our knees in prayer. And if we'll ask God to lead us through this process. I'm going to pray. And after that prayer, we're going to share a song together. I'll make my way back over to the Welcome Center. would love to have a conversation with you this morning about this or anything that's on your heart. Uh, maybe you have, uh, want to have a conversation about uh, engaging in Bible study. Or perhaps you want to have a conversation about baptism. Or maybe you just need to have a conversation with someone. Uh, someone that you can pray with. Uh, I'm not going to be over there by myself. There will be some other folks joining us. And so once we wrap up this morning, I'll meet you over there. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for the blessing of this morning. We're humbled, Father, to be in text like uh, Peter's letter this morning. Thank you for not just his wisdom and his insight, Father, but how you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, move through him to give us language. Uh, to identify and understand um, the characteristics, the attitudes, the, the heart posture of those who serve in this most important of roles. And so, Father, we give this process to you. Uh, we ask, Lord, uh, for the power of your Holy Spirit to move through this church as we uh, identify those names and faces of men we believe you are calling to serve this body at this time. Father, may we be burdened as we think about this in a good way, uh, knowing, Lord, that you are working through every member of this body uh, for your uh, glory and to fulfill your purposes. We love you. 
Again, we thank you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.